0: Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 142, our last episode being the second in a long list of Nuffield scholars for 2024. And David Tavener and I found myself almost asking him for a job because I was very interested in the whole idea of insects as a livestock feed, um, and David is certainly pioneering in that field. Um, Our next episode, number 153, you'll be with Hugh Evans, who is um, in charge of Three Pools Permaculture Farm don't ask me what it's about. I haven't filmed yet. And I'm sure I'll be very confused when I speak to him. Um, and uh, yeah, I meant to say in the episode with David, but I forgot because I didn't hit record the first time. So <laughs> I'll say it this time. Um, on the All In series, obviously number 150 went really well uh, with Rose Davis, an Olympian. <clears throat> um but we're now bringing on for those that are football fans, of which I certainly am one, uh, a European Cup winner. So, like what's now known as Champions League, we're bringing someone on that's won that. Um, and for those that really like football, we'll know in the sort of eighties and late seventies, Liverpool were. How about this? Just one of the best teams that world football's ever seen, and the man that's coming on was part of that team. So uh, quite exciting. Um, All in series is fairly ramping up and I'm really, really enjoying the food and farming side at the minute, especially because I get to interview Nuffield scholars and not just interview Nuffield scholars thinking, oh my God, these people are amazing because they're Nuffield scholars. But then I feel bad saying that because I now am one and it's quite exciting to sort of be part of such an elite crew and I'm sure today's guest, because we've just been talking about it off podcast, off record, um, will say... It's still a bit surreal. We only really found out in the last three weeks uh, that we were successful. And uh, yeah, we still haven't been awarded at the point of recording. And I think if I've got the date of release right, we will be getting awarded it in the next three days. So all quite exciting. But today's guest today is Jock Jock Gibson. Jock, would you like to say hello? Hello. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as Aplan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Looking forward to this. Good chat
1: yeah very much so
0: looking forward to it <laughs> good man good uh, a couple of the 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 scottish contingent um from uh, from Nuffield. i haven't actually got in touch with her. i've got a feeling hattie might be from scotland but i haven't actually spoke to hattie uh, i haven't got got in touch with her yet but from her instagram it seems that way and hattie if you're listening and that's wrong i strongly apologise um <laughs> but you certainly couldn't have two more scottish folk then today, yous won't be seeing this because I only released the audio, but I am sitting here with an iron brew and Jock is sitting there with a tartan mug. So uh, we, we can look much more Scottish at this point as he lifts up the mug there. But uh, Jock, for those listening, um, and for myself, really, we haven't spoken too much. I've, I think I spoke to you once before. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Give us a bit of background about you. F- forgetting Nuffield, just in general, who is who is Jock Gibson? <clears throat>
1: um, fly me. Um so I am, I am, I guess, a farmer and a butcher, primarily. Um, we farm here at Eden vale, just outside a small village called Dallas, which is in Murray, up in the north of Scotland here. And then we've got a butcher shop, Macbeth's, in Forest. Um I've been running the butchery side of life since 2007, and my wife and I came up to the farm in 2015, um, before that, I was a failed business building services engineer um so I tried to have a, a professional career away from food and farming and um yeah, I wasn't particularly very good at it um so um pulled the pin on that and um, there was an opportunity to come home so um so I managed to take that and um, and that's where we are today. It's always got interesting to see that I mean. <clears throat>
0: You're speaking to someone at the minute that might, um, um, that is that is basically from a farm and, and went away and whatever and uh, you speak. I speak to a lot of folk on this, obviously, and it's quite it's quite often the case. You know, someone wants to go try something else, and then that opportunity comes up. Was that an opportunity you were looking for, Joe, to get back into farm, or was that just it happened and you're like, let's give it a shot?
1: So coming back to the farm was never really an opportunity that was that was something that was never going to present itself dad was a first generation farmer um and um as far as, as far as mom and dad were concerned you know this business was started and could finish finish with them there was no they didn't feel an obligation to pass it on to the next generation and and we didn't feel an obligation to take it on um and, and to a certain extent the very opposite we were probably actively discouraged um <laughs> so it was always the plan that i was going to go away and do something else and do do my own thing um you know it just it just so happened that i probably didn't know what i wanted to do i spent a lot of time bumming around on boats and and doing that sort of thing and that was that was an easier career choice than actually working hard for a living um so but Yeah, so my actual career choice, whilst it was good, I enjoyed it. I just, I didn't really have the aptitude for it. I didn't have the attention to detail at that stage in my life um, to care enough about it.
0: So what did that job involve? I mean, you said you failed. I'm sure that's not the case. But uh, yeah, what did that actually involve? Uh,
1: So in its simplest form, I was designing heating and ventilation systems for buildings. Um, so colleges, hospitals, um, you know, university buildings, that sort of thing. Um, lastly, I was in Glasgow. Prior to that, I was in Peterborough. Um, and when we were there, we we're doing you know, extract systems for Ford Motor Company, for example. And so it was it's the sort of thing that nobody nobody looks at. Nobody really takes notice of it until it doesn't work and then it upsets everybody um and um and the problem with i had was that you know i'd be designing heating systems and i i would specify a gate valve and um apparently it should have been a globe valve and uh, to me it shut off water and i didn't care and it was at that point i realized I didn't care that i probably realized i shouldn't be doing it
0: yeah maybe yeah <laughs> 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 Do you know I, I hope you didn't um work on, on my college campuses heating because it has two settings one is 190 degrees heat in summer and not working in winter <laughs> that's, um, that's the two settings at the minute
1: <laughs> so i i tend not to confess to which buildings i actually worked on around the countryside
0: <laughs> given the opportunity to say you didn't and you didn't take it makes me think you have uh, <laughs> um so you've came back uh, you've came back to farm then when was that sorry
1: so came back to run the butchery side of life in 2007. So um, parents, of dad and grandparents bought the farm in the in the mid 70s, and then mum and dad bought the butcher's business in the mid 80s. Um, when it came to sort of 2007, mum hadn't been particularly well for a while, and was she was primarily responsible for running the shop. Um, and was just wanting to get out of that. So they were looking at selling it um, at a time when it probably wasn't that sensible to sell. Um, there wasn't an obvious buyer for it. And the um, plan was that I would come back and and make, try and make a go of it for five years and then have a look at it and you know put a certain amount of investment in it take it on. And then if we all decided that we wanted to sell then, then we'd do that. And, and that was fine. So yeah, no, that's when I came back to, back to the butchery side of it.
0: So you, you came back the butchery side and at that point, still no intention of the farm. Is that right?
1: No, I mean, the farm was, farm was dad's domain. Um, and, um, you know, that was, that was his, that, that was his, um, baby and you know to be fair there wasn't really room for me um you know there wasn't it was going to be very difficult to add in something which would justify my existence on the farm as it was without displacing something else and uh, yeah i realized that and you know and frankly i had my hands full with the butchery side of it
0: so um funnily enough the last person i filmed with
1: uh don't
0: know if you know Jack Young. Um, their uh, Overton Farm. Okay. <clears throat> um, they kind of get a similar story. In fairness, actually, and the, the the butchery side quite interested me because it's something I really don't know about. Um, could you tell us a bit about the? Is it butchery? I take it it's not abattoir. It's butchery solely. Is that right? It's
1: it's just butchery only, and the reason it came about was. Um when on the farm when the farm was first bought and started out dad and mum were very much into Highland cattle um they were quite well known in Highland cattle circles and we were exporting genetics all around the world um but for every pedigree bull or pedigree heifer that you sell at half reasonable money you end up with a heap of unfancy sturks and heifers which don't have a value in the open market then or now. And the best way to do was to put it through a butcher shop and try and add value that way. Um, So that's how that came about and parents bought a high street butcher um, in Forest. And at the time there was three other butchers in Forest Um, and primarily just retail trade off off the street, and they quickly added a food service side to the business and then moved into mail order as well.
0: The I guess this is a bit of an off-the-cuff question, but it's quite interesting to hear from yourself in in this game. What 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 has supermarkets done to the selling of meat from like a butchery perspective and just in the UK in general, you know, is it is it it's obviously they've taken a fair chunk away, but has it caused a problem or is it still workable?
1: Um, so when we first had the butcher's shop, we still didn't have, yeah. Did we have a Tesco's in town by then? I'm not sure if we did or if we did, it has just just come along. And you know, a lot of a lot of um, supermarkets had a full blown butcher's counter, so it, you know, whilst it maybe took business away, it also made it people more comfortable. With with still buying meat over a counter. I think the real damage now is that people tend not to go into high street shops. So they go into supermarkets because it's convenient and all they see is pre-packed, food, pre-labeled, pre-priced. And that makes it more difficult for a consumer to go into a butcher's shop where it is, it's maybe still trays of meat and trays of steaks and sausages, but they don't have that. Um, absolute knowledge of how much it's going to cost them or, you know, do I want, am I going to look stupid asking for two sausages, for example? So, you know, it takes away some of, you know, supermarkets are easy. You just pick up a packet. If you like it, you put it in your basket. And if you don't, you don't. And you pay for it and away you go. Whereas with, in a butcher's shop, there is more of a, um, there has to be more of an interaction so that people can walk away knowing That they've got what they want
0: and how have you found um there's more than just yourself like you said when it started did you find you had to sort of quite ferociously market yourself or was that quite easy enough to to gain custom
1: Uh, you know we're all we're all doing different things um, in the town, so we've all got different markets we we move a lot of products out with the local area um and you know and somebody else is supplying supermarkets and somebody else is concentrating on a retail trade so you know from that point of view it's fine and we all get on reasonably well with each other so which helps um and so yeah so no it's i think where you're having to more ferociously market yourself is with other businesses that are doing a similar sort of thing to you so other big mail order businesses or uh, you know, even farm shops now uh, are probably more of a competition than maybe a high street a high street butcher.
0: So um, you found yourself coming back, getting established in the butchery side. How long did it take? You're obviously involved in both now. How long did it take before you found yourself getting involved in the ground of the farm as well?
1: So um, we... So it must have been about seven years. Both my parents died in relatively quick succession. So mum in 2014, and then dad in 2015. And um, we suddenly found ourselves with the farm, um, which um, we we hadn't really planned for. Um, there was no succession plan in place. Um, when dad died, he was a sole trader, uh, which is a nightmare situation if you if you're in a, a family situation, where that's a possibility. Have a look at it, no hurry, anytime yesterday would have been fine. Um, but um so we yeah, we took on the farm in 2015, we moved up almost eight years ago to the day. Um and um yeah, and suddenly we we sort of stumbled our way through that first winter, and it it became apparent that um we we had a small farm, we had 30 cows and followers um we didn't have enough of a turnover to pay the bills um we didn't have enough money in the bank to pay the bills that had already been incurred by my father and the bank accounts were frozen anyway um so even if we wanted to we couldn't couldn't pay anybody quite nice um, start, that isn't it quite- <laughs> yeah, It's lovely it's lovely there it was um a fairly serious loan um and um yeah it was it was a bit of a um you did sit there wondering why on earth we ended up coming up to the farm but um it's yeah so when we were sitting there going well you know what do we do with this um and it was it was a very difficult time um to really to really get cracking with it
0: i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors howden rural the new name for a plan rural Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. Did you have obviously did, well the listeners don't know this, but just before we <clears throat> before we hit record, um, one of your uh, one of your kids was in. Did you have kids at that point?
1: So when we moved up to the farm, we had Ayla would have been around about three. Tilly would have. Just been born, and yeah, Rory hadn't been thought of yet. Yeah. Um. So, which adds um, to the
0: trauma, you know,
1: uh, jumping into yeah, like
0: it's, that when there's there's two E ones, you know.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it was. It's. I mean, in many ways, they were absolutely critical to us to surviving that, and I do see it as a period of survival because it doesn't matter what is going on in the world around you. They don't know about it and they don't care. Um, so all they want is fed, cleaned, a bit of attention every now and again. And so there are times when you just actually have to drop everything and concentrate solely on them. And that's that's actually quite quite cathartic. Um, so and yeah, it helps a lot. I mean, yeah, it's stressful. Um, and you know, you then add a third one into the mix and it's another period of no sleep, but yeah. On the,
0: we'll, we'll get into sort of, you mentioned numbers at the start when you took over and stuff, but just, just in, in your background, a photo's caught my eye. What what sort of weather do you get where you are? Is I mean, the, the photo I'm talking about for those listening is, I think if my eyesight's good enough, a bunch of cattle, I'm guessing from the colours it's Highlanders, but I could be wrong, uh, in a pretty snowy setting. Is that the case or is that very rare?
1: Uh, I would I would say we're in as good an area as we possibly can be. Um, we get a modest amount of rainfall um, a year. Um, it's you know we don't tend to get really savage amounts. We don't get huge amounts of snow. You know December, January, February would be the times that we would normally get it. Um, we're yeah it's it's a it's a good area to farm from from a weather point of view. We don't get west coast levels of rain and we don't get you know, that savage easterly wind as well that you get on the east coast, which just strips everything out. So yeah, no, we're we're in a we're in a good grass growing area.
0: So yeah, yeah, continue on with that, joke. Tell us about tell us about the farm itself, you know, from a, a ground perspective and what you have on it. I'm guessing things have changed since you took over, or maybe they're the same
1: yeah so um we own we own uh, Edinville is just a small farm it's about 100 acres um here and then we um rent and have a small tenancy which takes in about another 300 acres um just locally um a lot of seasonal ground we have highland and Shorthorn cattle um we did have some aberdeen angus but um i'm trying to breed them out the system um and then we take everything through or pretty much everything through to finishing for the butcher shop um we sell a few stores we sell a few fat elsewhere um and yeah everything is 100% grass and forage fed so we we've stripped out concentrate out the system um we've stripped out major inputs um and yeah it's everything's Old beasts are moving every couple of days, and yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. Is
0: the goal to have 100% of what's going off your farm going through your butcher shop, or are you happy where you are?
1: Um, I We have scope to take more through the butchery business, um, but the goal would be to have enough, for the butchery business enough for retaining heifers and to be able to sell some surplus elsewhere um Mm -hmm. so it's it's to try and yeah we want to ideally I'd like to be selling direct to other butchers or you know direct into a fat ring um I prefer to work off private um trade if I can Um, but just to have a wee bit of, um, just to cover some bases, basically. Do you uh, do you show at all? Not anymore. So not anymore. when I grew up, okay. we were we were pulled around every um, local and national show um, showing Highlanders, and um, yeah, Dad would be putting in the hours, um, getting cattle ready for for um, for the shows. But no, it's not something I. It's not something I've got. It's that eye for detail thing again. Um, you know, it's just not, it doesn't interest me.
0: I'll be honest, there's nothing more I love than walking around your cattle lines in that at the Highland. And I don't just mean it one in the morning, I mean in general. Um, and uh, But yeah, it's it must be a tough game doing that consistently. You know, in every show, being there for four days when you might have 20 minutes in the ring, you know, like it, it's rough, like it's intense.
1: It, it it is and i take my hat off to those that do it and the, the passion that they they should clearly have for it i think is just is just awesome um but for me as well you know i'm looking at cattle in a maybe a slightly different way to what most people would be looking at the highland show or or anything else you know i'm the 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 cattle beast that you breed for the show ring is not the same as the cattle beast you breed for the butcher shop in my opinion okay um <laughs> so It's um, yeah. So I and I think that's part of the reason that it doesn't um, it doesn't excite me in the same same way, and it doesn't it doesn't draw my interest. I mean, I love seeing them, and I love you know if I'm down at the Highland, I'll I'll make a point of going to the to the Highland Ring, and I'll go down the cattle lines. But it's you know the actual show scene is is not for me, and it's not part of where our business is at.
0: Do you have? Uh, a set sort of Europe scale fat class that you're targeting consistently, or or is it pretty open?
1: It's it's pretty open because um you know thankfully the butcher is pretty tolerant of what the farmer puts into the butcher shop <laughs> um, because it, you know the farmer can bugger it up quite savagely sometimes um but um, no I mean we're looking we're looking at a weight um of, you know, minimum live weight of 500, um, maybe 480 in the smallest Highlanders. Um, but, you know, we're looking for half decent cover. But again, it goes back to how this all came about is the sort of animals that we have don't necessarily fit nicely into a Europe grid or, you know, into an open market. So it's it's good as a guide but the best thing that we can do to judge how we're getting on is by cutting it into a steak and eating it and and working out what we've got got that way yeah determinants
0: of meat are completely subjective do you like it does it feel nice to eat like that's yeah
1: Yeah, and (laughs) you know we can get very hung up on on europe grids and what it does or doesn't deliver but at the end of the day once you've I mean, certainly, once you've turned it into a burger, and you know, there's good burgers and there's bad burgers, but you know, once you've turned it into a mince product, nobody cares what Europe Grid achieved. Um, you know, steaks. You know, I think, I think the Europe Grid maybe works slightly against a good quality steak. Okay. You, know, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, um, you know, certainly a, ah. You know, some R's can be pretty big. And if you're cutting an eight ounce steak, it's pretty thin. Yeah. Um, you know, and you want to be able to, you want to be at the lower end of an R, possibly an O, to get that really nice thick steak that you can cook nice and rare if that's what you want to do.
0: It's, um, it kind of leads me on to your next que- my next question, I think. I know the answer <laughs> you mentioned earlier sort of trying to breed away or, or maybe already have from from the angus um, which is i think probably quite commonly regarded as a very good meat product um and please correct me if i'm wrong but certainly public perception or not public perception farmer perception as the highlander is probably the opposite however your focus is foraging grass and is mm-hmm. that the reason is that the reason for that change or is there other reasons
1: and um, so the reason for moving away from the Aberdeen Angus is at some point in the past, we've introduced some genetics, which um, has what it meant was that our breeding cows were big cows and they were bullying out our smaller highland and Shorthorn cows out of feed. And, you know, I've got the patience or the resources to manage them as a separate group. You know, I just I don't want to be in that game. At the same time i was looking at young stock that we were trying to finish and at that time we were still using barley and you would be shoveling barley into them to try and fatten them up and all they would do is just grow and grow and grow mm. and you know they weren't they weren't fleshing up so it, you know for us you know there's as much variance in breeds as there is between breeds themselves so um i think I don't have anything against the Aberdeen Angus breed as such. It was the Aberdeen Angus that we had, which were causing us problems. That said, we have moved to a complete grass and forage system, um, and that's been consumer-driven. And the Highland and Shorthorn fits that system a lot better than some of the more commercially-minded Aberdeen Angus breeds and some of the other breeds that are out there. You know, I can stick a Highlander out in any weather during the winter, and it'll just look at the weather coming in and goes, "Is that it? Is that all you've got?" <laughs> um, you know. Um, so, and that's important. Um,
0: are are any housed at any point?
1: So, for the last number of years, so cows are pretty much outwintered all the time. The only time they come in is to calf, and it's not because they couldn't carve outside; it's because from a management point of view, we're stretched and it is just much easier to have them in inside. And then once they've carved, we boot them out. But if there's a problem, the next to handling system, we can tag calves easily and safely. And it, it just makes life a lot easier. Young stock, for the last number of years, we've kept them out. Um... I don't think we've got the management of that right, and we've maybe not done them many favors. So calves this year, young stock will be in this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, I, in fairness, I be worded it wrong. I'm more meant your young stock. Um, mm. you mentioned earlier about weights, uh, your sort of target weights. I don't think you said ages. Have you got a target age? Maybe you did, and I missed it though.
1: So the the best of the short horns will kill out at about. 19 20 months old um and we'll take them at about 600 kilos right um maybe 550 600 kilos um they might be on the lean side um there might be there might be threes rather than four l's um but you know we need we'll quite often need a Christmas kill so yeah you know, we need those beasties there um most of them are going at 24 months um so which is which is fine but it is a second winter um which is which is a bit more expensive um and then the pure highlanders will go 36 40 months oh is it right okay yeah we have to look at them for an awful long time yeah um before they're before they're ready to go and some will go quicker but yeah by and large it can be it can be that sort of time scale three winters is costly three winters is costly and it's something that we're looking at so the highland is really important for me as a as a good suckler k okay? yeah. um so um it's you know they are hardy they're very low maintenance very low cost but we do have just too much highland genetics in at the moment just for that you know for that very reason that we're having to look at them for a long time so we do, we're just we're we're changing the split we were 50 50 shorthorn to highland we're now going to be two thirds shorthorn to third highland right okay yeah
0: and yeah. um, <clears throat> moving on a minute jock to the reason we originally got in touch through nuffield is you're obviously you're obviously quite focused on nutrition from a breeding perspective um are you um, i don't know i guess but I, are you sort of utilizing like ebvs at any point or are you just looks good or what's your sort of choice in that regard
1: so we're we're relatively closed herd so we're using EBVs on the bulls that we buy in yeah. um and then the the cows we're not using EBVs, but we it goes back to you know looking at what we're putting through the butcher's shop and what bloodlines are you know consistently providing good good product to the shop and then and then taking out what's not not performing from that point of view. So so it's it's that sort of performance that we're looking at rather than out and out EBVs in the in the breeding program. And uh,
0: yeah, as I said, <clears throat> the sort of reason we originally got in touch and uh, organized this chat was was Nuffield. And as I said at the start, it'd be quite interesting to hear talk your opinion on before we even talk about your topic, just Nuffield in general. Um, it's,
1: as I said right right as we kicked off it's
0: it's quite a surreal feeling are you still in that sort of ah, <laughs> type moment
1: yeah I mean it is it's um I, I was going through papers on my desk the other day and I found my letter um halfway down a stack of papers and I went yeah it's still real um and um so it's, it's it's just it's just incredible I mean I think um a good friend was talking about Nuffield to me probably as long ago as five, six years ago. And I probably I probably sat with an open application for two or three years. Okay. Um, but it just uh, just with everything that was going on, there was too much transition here. And but it was getting to the point where you know you, you count down how many years you've got <laughs> left to to apply, and you're so young, you don't even need to think about. That, I'm not though, that
0: you? young. I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but um, for for us that are getting on and being a bit more, um, you know, I I was, I think, you know, I've got I've got three years left to apply, and then it became it's, it this year it was two, and um, so yeah, it's you. It then puts the, puts the pressure on somewhat.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter the pressure's on. You were successful. tomorrow Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's um yeah I was just it's just amazing I mean it's such you hear so much about it and um just what people do with it and then what they go on to do afterwards and you you know part of you wants to test yourself to see if you can raise your game to that level um because it is such a high level and then when you get it, you just think. Oh shit! Well, maybe I can. I can get to that level, and then you have to prove that you can. Um, and I guess that's the next stage. But um, yeah, just awesome.
0: It's funny because like the application process was. It sounds cocky, but I'm quite comfortable in an interview. If I get to that process, I'm fine, and if it doesn't work out, grand. But the application was the bit I'd. I must have written it fifteen times, and I actually slightly changed. Um. Because originally I was looking at social media, uh, and I've I've since written a draft proposal for a PhD on that, and I think it fits that more, and then education and this I just feel like it works better. Um, so I'd actually written about four examples of the social media one, and then probably three or four of this, you know, uh, but it's just it, it's something I'd been aware of since probably my mum and dad. I remember a guy. I think my mum must have went to college with him or something like that. He was on the telly talking. I think, his name, I think, I think now I say telly, his name was Paul Kelly because I seem to remember them saying Paul Kelly on the telly. Um, And he was a Nuffield scholar. And I was, as a kid, I don't mean anything, but I remember mum and dad saying like, oh, he's a Nuffield scholar. uh, And that's sort of always been in my head, you know, and it's, it's it's quite cool. But could you tell us, we spoke with David a wee bit about this, what, what was the process of Nuffield application, you know, to, na- to now like for you?
1: Um, so what's it been like? I guess it's been quite long because um, so I had an application in last year and my topic last year was very much about um, a situation that I was in at the time and what I was really interested in at the time, um, put a lot of work into it and and didn't get to interview and at the time, I was absolutely gutted, um, and it took me, it took me a wee while just to um, get my head around that, and get it, get it straight, and it, there was sort of one or two other things that happened at the same time, which maybe, maybe didn't help, but looking back at it now, I'm really glad I didn't get it, because the topic was a there and then thing, and actually, since then, I've moved on from that, and right. I've moved on my thinking i've moved on my farm business and there probably there probably wasn't enough in it for a Nuffield um scholarship and even if there was i don't think i'd articulated it enough so i think um so whilst it was a bit of a grueling process i think when i had time to reflect on it and then um went and sat down to reapply this year I think I had a much stronger um, place as to where I wanted to be and where I wanted to get to and what I wanted to look at. Um, And I actually didn't rewrite my application that many times this time round. So the first time round, I did. I had loads of drafts of it. I think this time round, I only had one or two drafts. Um, And I think it was just a bit clearer and a bit bit more concise and yeah it's it seems to it seems to have resonated it seems to have struck a chord which is you know and you probably found it as well the the amount of goodwill and offers of help and support that received already is just it's amazing. It's I that I did not expect at all.
0: I think it's important to shout out Charlotte Merson, like yeah. oh my God <laughs> how did she do so much charlotte if you're listening even absolute godsend you really have um
1: i it must I really, be like herding cats that job oh
0: man because I, i'm not gonna lie like i think i'm a pretty quite calm person quite collected don't get too stressed about stuff but see all the emails that came after that successful application my god man it's never ending and i, <laughs> I, I probably email charlotte like three times a day sometimes like but I thought I did this. I'm going to try and show off, Jock, and uh, please call me out if I do it wrong. I think I know what your title is. Is it Enhancing Meat Eating Quality from Completely Pasture... No, pasture and forage-based beef. Nope, raised beef.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, you're pretty close. So, yeah, Enhanced Meat Eating Quality from 100% um, grass and forage um fed beef close so yeah in a nutshell (laughs) you're absolutely right
0: so tell us about that then you maybe it would be quite interesting to hear if you're happy saying it what your your title was last year and what sort of made that change happen
1: um the title last year was um it was all to do with resilience both farm resilience and um personal resilience okay um so um I can't remember the name of the the title off the top of my head but that that was what it was that was what it was about and it was in the face of um you know things like massively rising fertilizer prices costs going through the roof and I just I felt that a lot of businesses just weren't particularly resilient and a lot of people weren't particularly resilient um and uh, and I put myself in that that category um but it was the feedback that i got was that the topic had been done before um and i don't think i'd articulated it well enough as to what i was what i was trying to achieve um so the other thing that always nagged me about that topic was you know i'm very privileged that i get to see the whole of the chain from you know the birth of a calf right through to a steak on a plate and I don't think I was really, that particular topic was looking at one aspect of the business and I was missing the opportunity to potentially look at the whole thing. Um, and so so with the changes that we've made on farm, um, you know, it ticks a lot of boxes for the consumer in a, in a very positive way. But what I feel that we're impacting on slightly is a bit of the um eating qualities that some people might be looking at and that, namely that would be tenderness um so you know we're hitting we're hitting flavor quality markers we're hitting you know some of the softer markers like uh, in terms of biodiversity gain um carbon um, emission reduction and all those things but the cost is coming at a um, tenderness sacrifice in in the meat which you really notice in the steaks um, and I think that is because nutritionally we're not getting it right certainly over the winter and sometimes we're not getting it right during the during the uh, real pinch periods um, you know going into from winter into spring and at the other end as well
0: you might have slightly lost me there maybe because I didn't quite pick sorry you up.
1: I was rambling a bit.
0: No, no 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 I either didn't pick you up wrong or just just went over my head but what's the relationship between Hitting sort of carbon sequestration biodiversity targets and whatnot in exchange for a loss of tenderness is there a, is there a direct correlation there or is that just a
1: the honest answer is I don't know right. um and that's that's part of what I want to look at so you know we're as a industry from the consumer point of view and take away supermarkets and all of all of that jazz um you know what are the what is the consumer looking for? And they're looking for a, a really tasty, tender bit of meat that they can eat without worrying if they're destroying the planet. Yeah. Um, and and they, it needs to be nutritionally dense as well because there's no point in eating it um, and burning the calories if it's got absolutely no nutritional benefit to you whatsoever. Now, red meat is um, a very, as we all know, a vital part of a healthy diet. Um, but are there certain regimes that can boost that nutritional density? Um, and if there is, is there a, is there a knock on effect on other traits? So, and it's, it's maybe the way that we've done it, but you know, we've concentrated on carbon emissions on biodiversity, on taking out some of those concentrate feeds which do provide a nutritional benefit but what's the knock-on effect of that being
0: that's interesting that's good it's you know it's been really interesting to speak to only three of you so far and every single one that's been sort of explained i'm like mm, like it <laughs> Ian, <laughs> Ian probably disagreed on our opinions on our topic but uh, that doesn't mean i'm not interested in hearing what comes of it like it's say. It's um, I guess it's quite interesting to ask before you've done anything yet with it, Jock. Where do you think it's going to go? What do you think? Do you have an idea in mind as to what you think you're going to find?
1: Um, I'm trying hard not to. I'm Um, doing the
0: exact same. Yes,
1: I'm, I'm. I'm trying to approach this from a a really open mind. Um and um. You know, for me, it's important to, you know, some of the things at the place I want to go to Japan, for example, to mm-hmm. look at Kobe beef production, which, you know, is very high concentrates diet. Um, and, you know, you come up with this beautifully marbled beef. But, you know, again, you can have the criticism that it looks looks brilliant, cooks really well, really tender, but doesn't actually taste it very much. So you know all this nutrition that we put into an animal has an effect somewhere along the lines. And if we want to produce a really good product out of a certain um, feeding regime, what do we need to be doing to absolutely hit all those quality markers? And can we hit all those quality markers? And Could if we... not,
0: sorry, oh, you got... sorry.
1: And if not, then what's the next best option?
0: Hmm. They're all making me think. <laughs>
1: like, I hope um, in a good way. I hope you're just not thinking. Oh, he's on it. He's on. No, a man, not planet. at all.
0: <laughs> not at a tier. I think. Let's even forget my opinion. I'm very interested in it, but I don't think people get Nuffield scholarships on nonsense. I <laughs> think it'd, be, I think it'd be fair to say um, it's Kobe's not Wagyu. It's a different.
1: It's yeah. So it's Wagyu, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's different. So Wagyu is, oh, Kobe's breed as well, I think, Um, but it's slightly different, different regime. Kobe is as well. I think it's got a, it's like a PGI. So
0: just Googled it. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's a, it's a PGI and it's, it's produced to a very certain standard in a very certain region of Japan.
0: Kobe beef is wagyu beef from the Tajima strain of Japanese black cattle raised in Japan's Hyogo Prefecture, according to rules set out by Kobe Beef Marketing and Distribution Promotion Association. Yeah, um, there you go.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, so. And, you know, part of this um, is, um, is to try and follow all these production systems right through to the end product and trying to understand what's driving, you know, really top chefs to, to buy that product. You know, we, we're quite parochial in this country. You know, it all has to be Scotch. It all has to be or or British British beef. You go to America, it's coming from New Zealand, Australia, Uruguay, Argentina. And people are selecting beef there like they're selecting wine. You know, we, we're, we've got no problem um, drinking French wine or South African wine, but we seem to be really parochial about beef. Whereas in other countries, they're going... I want that beef because it's the best beef for what I want to do with it. Um, So it's trying to understand those purchase drivers and the quality that they're looking for from certain production systems.
0: Forgetting sort of desire for quality of food on your plate when you consider buying, let's say, Argentinian beef versus Scottish beef. There's, There's two schools of thought. There's an environmental school of thought, and then there's a trade school of thought. And I think in farming and maybe like quality assurance and whatnot i'm very close with a lot of people in qms um so don't think this is a slant against qms at all just using them as an example um they'll promote scotch because it's better for the environment Mm -hmm. whatever and we push that better for the environment and it's better for um it's arguably better in some ways for food security if we've got Mm reduced food miles on a product and that sort of thing but if we push that too far trade disappears and quote-unquote developing i hate the term developing nations aren't going to have anyone to trade with so you if we've got to be conscious of that from a a humanitarian welfare level as well um Mm -hmm. and i think you're right i think i'm very much a promoter of scotch british irish whatever but at the same time and look we can't forget trade (laughs) because they're in bother Mm -hmm. if we do that um you've been. Sorry, Joe, can you go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we can't, you know, Scotch in theory is a premium product. And, you know, best will in the world, a premium product is not going to go into every eating establishment, or it's you know, and we've got a we've got carcass balance to consider and and we've got seasonality to consider, especially when it comes to lambs. So, you know, we need this element of trade and we need to be able to get the right right product in the right place at the right time um and it's i mean i think scotch is a brilliant brand i think it's been hugely successful um and you know we can gripe and groan about you know things around the periphery of it but you know by and large it's been a brilliant thing for our industry Um, but it's it maybe needs um sort of um stratified stratified a bit now to it to get into different marketplaces domestically and around the world
0: and i think you make a good point with that like, earlier you said about what are the top chefs doing top chefs are a very small percentage of what meat's going out there you know we've got to, we've got to consider what's going into everyone's kitchen seven days a week um, yeah. and and one thing that i've caused some um divide shall we say uh, is i think farmers are bad at saying um oh well you have to pay for quality very few people can <laughs> mm-hmm. we're in a position that especially at the minute where even in one of the arguably most developed countries on the planet in the uk a lot of people are struggling to afford food and the last thing they care about is the quality of their meat they care about the energy and protein and it has what matters you know what it's it's um it's something we've got to be mindful of as well um uh, you you mentioned Jock. You mentioned Japan. Where where else are you planning? What is what is your Nuffield plan? I guess.
1: <clears throat> so um, with um, we've got the CSC in Brazil, um, and then head I'm going to head over the border to Uruguay. Um, after that, um, and then come back home, and then looking at Japan, New Zealand, and Australia. And um, the re- one of the reasons I want to go to Australia is. The, they've got the best grading system in the world, arguably, okay. I would say. Um, and whilst I don't want to look at grading systems, I do want to see how that grading system influences on-farm decisions as to how they feed and breed animals. Um, and then also head into America and Canada. How that? When is... Quite a lot. Seven, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, very good. I hadn't, I hadn't had Uruguay on the list until I went to um, until I had my mock interview, um, and um, uh, Alex Brewster, who who was helping out at that, um, he um, he suggested Uruguay, and I had a quick look at it. Yeah, how did I miss that one?
0: Well, you're you're there as well. Like we're in well, yeah. we're not, Brazil's massive, but you're you're a hop away in global terms. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, and in yeah, terms the, the, the jet lag's doors, not, so, not so bad if you just hop me across the border.
0: I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry.
1: <laughs> um. I'm looking
0: forward to Brazil.
1: Yeah. yeah Are you man. doing any of the tours afterwards? I'm
0: already really pushing the limits with holidays at this point. Um, yeah. I've, uh... <laughs> right, so I'm just back from Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, last week. I'm going to States on Saturday. Um and then going to Shetland at the end of the week after that. Uh, I've got three days for Nuffield, I think, the week for Parliament, the week for Brazil. Yeah. Um, and then Nuffield starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're sort of we're it's funny because I went to and I also missed a week at the start of this year because I was in Rwanda. So I went to Tanzania and Rwanda in August. And uh fantastic. Yeah, I, I the start of August, I'd been to Holland and Iceland, and uh by by November I've added one, two, three, four, five. Six countries to that, (laughs) and I think I've finished all the continents by this time next year. So it's been a bit mad, but um, yeah, that sounds brilliant. It's it's MSA Meat Standards, something that's
1: Meat Standards Um, Australia, um, and um, the it's it's done on algorithms. It's been done on extensive consumer testing. I think um, I've been sent some stuff from Wales actually, where they've been looking at something similar I think um, as well and um, yeah so it's it, yeah. there's a lot of call in the industry for a new grading system in in the UK to get us away from Europe grids um, I don't think it's ever going to happen um, I think there could be add-ons I think that's being talked about at QMS a wee bit but um, it's you know we've got to my feeling is that we've actually got to move away from trying to change grading systems and actually look at production systems and and link that through to, to consumer testings and, and do it that way. Um, it would be easier if we had a grading system, but I just don't see the political appetite for it.
0: Well, Europe's obviously a five-part grade. For those listening, um, I'm not an idiot. It's not Europe like the continent. It's Europe like the continent. E. I know how many letters there is. It's E-U-R-O-P. Um America's sorry. Australia's nine. Is that right? Is it one through nine, or zero, um, which the, is ten? Zero through actually nine.
1: Actually. Looking at, but I think they do it slightly differently. So that um, you put in carcass traits, cattle traits, into this algorithm, and it will spit out um, sort of one star, two star, three star for a particular cut of meat, depending on how you cook it. Got you. But it's it's um, it's a really powerful system so in theory what it enables you to do is extract maximum value from a carcass whilst at the same time ensuring eating quality for a particular cooking method
0: that particular cooking method's so important
1: oh absolutely it's Not even it's concerned. key Not even um, it you know and that's one thing that slightly bothers me about all this you go and do all this work as to producing you know the best bit of beef you can and then somebody goes and Destroys it on the frying pan <laughs> at home, but you know you've got to have a bit of faith in them, I guess.
0: Well, that's You do have to weave it. You do have to weave it. You do have to leave it. Um, no, here it sounds like a really good one, John. Sounds like a really good, good and worthwhile project. Um, have you? Yeah, sort- I'm looking forward
1: to it. it certainly seems to, as it seems to have struck a chord with people, and um, it's yeah, just just amazing how many people have come forward with you know, suggestions, places to go, offers of help. And um, yeah, for anybody listening, I'm open to more. Um, It's, you know, I I think probably be the same for all of us if anybody's got any thoughts or ideas to to ping them over.
0: It's been amazing in that sense, in fairness. Um, Yeah, it really has been. Whether it's offers of financial support or offers of of just general assistance, contact assistance, whatever. Was it, is it RAS that's supporting you?
1: Um, yeah, so supported by Ras and the Worshipful Company of Butchers. Oh, um, so um, yeah, look, lucky got got two two sponsors in my in my corner. So that's that's brilliant. Fantastic, fantastic. No, it sounds good. I don't but know that. if it means I get double the money to go travelling with. But... I don't think
0: it does, Jock. No. Unfortunately. Here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. It sounds really good, and having two. But I don't know much about the Worshipful. Company of butchers, um, but I did speak to the the guy who was there with worshipful company of farmers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it sounds like quite an interesting thing. So yeah, no, very good, very good. Uh, yeah, I look forward to following the travels. Look forward to seeing where you go and see where you end up. And Uruguay is an interesting one. The Uruguayan, am I right in saying the Uruguay? Well, am I mixing up countries here? Uruguay was Pinochet in the eighties, wasn't he? And he was pretty bad. Or the sixties, I think their president, and then at the minute, I believe their president is he's about eighty years old, and he's on a salary of about fifteen thousand pounds, um. I think, I think
1: I ha- um, I haven't looked into too much into the political yeah. side of it. I've been I've been sort of looking at farms. I mean, it's an amazing grass growing area. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and um, you know, very small country exporting small amounts of beef, but. And you know, sitting next door to Brazil and Argentina, which are just overwhelmed with cattle numbers, and realizing that they can't compete in the commodity market, so are aiming for quality markets and um, exporting around the world. Um, hold Scotch up as the um, pinnacle to which they're aiming for, um, by all accounts. So, um, and just yeah, just seem to be. Um, very much that way, that way geared. So, um, j- yeah, really looking forward to getting stuck into there. I've got some interesting places to tap up to see if I can go and speak to them and see them. Brilliant.
0: No, I look forward to following it, Joe. Really doing. With a capital city loosely translating to mountain video, what more could you want? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got such a weird, pointless political, geographical knowledge. Capital cities, flags. All that sort of stuff. Um,
1: uh, yeah, but how? Nothing. what's the tallest mountain in the UK, Wallace?
0: Well, I think it's quite near me, is it not?
1: I, I seem to hear, think I heard you struggling with that the other day and maybe mentioned a, a, a wee peak in um, Wales somewhere.
0: Did I say it was Snowden? Yeah, well, yes. this is the trouble with having released about eleven thousand minutes of you speaking. You you do you do say the wrong thing from time to time. Ben <laughs> hey, devis joke. Thank you. Uh,
1: who did I say just that just to? I actually
0: remember saying that now, but I can't remember who I said it to.
1: You remember? Yeah, it was um, on the Claire Whittle podcast. That's right. So it was. That's right. <laughs> um,
0: well, I, the capital of Uruguay actually is Montevideo. So.
1: Yeah, <laughs> good uh, knowledge
0: yeah that's it that's it no good stuff man and then here it's been a pleasure to talk and i'm sure we'll speak for a hell of a lot longer we do meet in a couple weeks time or three weeks time i should say um yeah
1: no looking forward to that and looking forward to meeting you in the flesh and everyone else actually
0: yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good crack. I'm, I'm feeling good. I, another thing I was a bit confused about. I signed up for that darts farm tour. Um, and mm-hmm. Charlotte asked me this morning, she's like, "Yeah, you're not going to manage that." And I was like, "I'm so confused." <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay. just put me down for what you want.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> just uh, tell me where I need to be and
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. But um, before I let anyone go, Jock, There's two questions I ask everyone. Um, one of them I'm not a fan of. I'll be honest, uh, but I still force force the the, the the guests to answer it, and that is. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is if you had tips for folk going into farming, what would they be?
1: Wow, well, okay. Um, so I'm gonna give you five and ten years then. Oh um, yeah, so in in five years' time, producing awesome tasting beef that hits a multitude of quality markers um, in environmentally and taste and tenderness and and all of that and hopefully helping other people to do the same um I, that's I'd like to be doing that 10 years time our kids eldest kid will be 21 um youngest How that feel? How does that feel? brilliant brilliant <laughs> soon be able to retire hopefully um <laughs> Uh, get them through get them through college or university if that's what they want and then sail off into the sunset no um but um we'll have an idea then if they want to come into the business or not um and if they do that would be brilliant if they don't that would be cool too um and but in you know in 10 years time hopefully bringing on the next generation whether related to us or not and going into more of a more of a guiding and mentoring role and helping out, whilst hopefully still fit and able, um, with an exit plan so that Fiona and I can can retire sometime further down the line. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of where we're where we're at with that.
0: And on that, uh, is it looking like the three? Obviously, they're all quite young. I know, but anyone got an interest in the farm?
1: Um, Yes and no. They go through geese, um, and um, you know we, you know, I I wasn't encouraged to come back to the farmer. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an option. Um, I think, uh, you know, I would love to think that we're encouraging our kids to have a look at it as an option and creating creating the space for them. Um, that doesn't mean I want to hand everything on a plate to them. Um, I think they, they've still got to come on with their own ideas and thoughts as to how they're going to develop the business. But I do want to be able to grow a business so that there's at least the possibility of all three of them coming back in, if that's what they want to do. You know, I'd rather, I'd almost rather sell everything up than say, well, you can come in, but you two can't. Um, uh, I'd I'd rather not, not create that potential for division. Um, And, um, so yeah, so that's where we're at. I think two potentially might be um, thinking about it at a very early stage. One I think is going to live in a, in a fairy world somewhere and it sounds like a very nice place to be. <laughs> um, but, and she might be the one that surprises us and says, no, I'm gonna have a go at this. But yeah, um, I would hope that we're not forcing them one way or another.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty positive way to look at it. And yeah, um, I think so. if you had tips for folk, any advice for people coming into farming, what would they be?
1: Oh, hustle. Um, it's a really difficult industry to break into. As I have two parts to this, I think those that are wanting to come into the industry, I think um, it is difficult. Um, you know, I was very lucky. And I recognize I'm lucky in that we've inherited this place, maybe not under ideal circumstances, but I think there's a lot of people that would, um, you know, bite the hand off to have the opportunity that we've got here. Um, so, you know, whatever I say, it's in, in that context. But, you know, I think the opportunities will always come along, but you need to be in a position to try and take advantage of them. And that means probably working in the industry um, and working with people, trying to learn all the time and show an aptitude. And then hopefully those opportunities will present themselves. But equally, as business owners, as employers, as, you know, people maybe further up the chain, if you like, we have to be much, much better at presenting those opportunities. Now, whether that's you know, you know, share farming or whatever it might be. I think um, we, when we recognize good talent, we have to be much better at trying to retain that and getting them into, you know, more integral parts of the business um, and businesses and allowing them to let rip a bit more rather than trying to control people.
0: I agree. Yeah, I really do. I think there's a lot of that in fairness.
1: Yeah, no. Would agree. Good, good points. I would say
0: to end on good points to end on there, and uh, I hope, uh, I hope the whole, the whole chat for yourself, Chalk's been quite nice. Hope you enjoyed it?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's been good. It's been um good to good to be able to talk about all this. Actually, it's yeah. um you know we all we all live in sort of splendid isolation um quite often, and um there's a, a limit to how many people want to listen to you drone on. Well, here.
0: I don't know why people listen to me. It must be the folk that I bring on. It's certainly not me they want to listen to. <laughs> it three hours a week, that's for sure. Um, No, thank you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, for those for those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed another another good episode of the R2 Cast here. That's been number three of what will be 23, well, 22 uh, guests on, speaking about their Nuffield scholarship. And maybe we'll get Ed to film with myself if if, if he's want, which it does seem like he's do. Um, the last episode we had was David, David Taverner, who is another Nuffield Scholar this year, speaking about his Nuffield Scholarship, which is aimed around um, uh, insects as a as a livestock feed. So an interesting one there. A lot of questions, but. BSE was sort of my question line well is that possible are they vertebrae surely they can't be all that sort of stuff so that was quite interesting uh, and then we're going on to hugh evans who i think would go on pretty well with david quite an instant paired fairness uh speaking about his farm three pools permaculture is what it's called so quite an interesting instagram there um if you do you do a, any social media you want to put out jock are you not overly
1: yeah no we're um, on twitter at edinvale farm and Macbeth's. Um, so two twitter accounts there and roughly the same for instagram and facebook so yeah do link up that way um it'd be great to have a few more followers
0: yeah it's always good the always two
1: good. that suffer us already <laughs> Uh, so go
0: check them out there and as always thank you for coming along and we'll see you for r2 cast number 153 see you then i hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the r2 cast as much as i have and i would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today howden rural the new name for a plan rural If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural and I'll see you for the next episode.